when I uh, when I come to edit this episode and I actually get the um, unadulterated file from Audacity, I'm going to have to manually put in all the points that John cuts out so we can recreate the experience. <laughs> yeah, good luck with editing this. I'm, I'm feeling for you, Phil. <laughs> I'm sure you are. Welcome to CPP Chat, a sometimes weekly look at what's going on in the world of C++, chatting with guests from the community. I will introduce this week's guest in a moment, but first we'll just get John to read a, uh, an unimportant disclaimer. Uh, thank you. So this week's disclaimer, the terms for using, copying, modifying, and distributing CPP Chat episodes are specified by the CPP Chat license. The license agreement is distributed with CPP Chat episodes in the file license. If for any reason you do not have this file in your distribution, it can be downloaded from http colon cpp.chat slash license.html. Some of the code and executables used by CPP Chat have their own usage restrictions. So hello. Hello. Hi, John. Uh, it's, uh, it's great to be here, even if I had to get out of bed early to make it, because we're doing this at an insane, insane time from the point of view of my home. <laughs> well, it makes a change. I, I was up until 2 a.m. last time we did this. That's right. So I guess, you know, what comes around, something like that. (laughs) So how are you doing, Hannah? I'm doing great. And it's great to see you again, both of you. Hi, Hannah. Hello. So I was just, uh, I was, I was about to tell you before we came on that I don't know what, if, if you've realized this, because as, as the, a speaker at CPPCon, you probably get a lot of people telling you, oh, I saw your talk, or whatever. But I'm getting a lot of feedback about your talk. Your talk got a, an, a, an exceptional amount of attention. And I see this because I see all the you know, the feedback f- from a lot of people. And so uh, um, so I just wanted to let you know that uh, your talk has been very well received. I haven't really looked at the at the view numbers or anything like that, but just the things that I've heard. Thank you. It's really great to see uh, to hear it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, did you feel uh, like you got a good response? I got a lot of response and a lot of Twitter replies and mentions, and it was crazy three days after talk. My tweet at Twitter was always beeping, something going on, and I was like, what's going on? <laughs> well, someone proposed that we get a T-shirt printed that says, I was there live or something like that, <laughs> like it was an event. Uh, well, I guess we should tell people about the talk. The talk was you were uh, you gave a talk. I mentioned the exact name of it, but but it was on being able to do regular expressions at compile time. Uh, this is a this is a quite a, quite an accomplishment because it speeds up the performance of being able to do regular expressions because the actual building of the uh, state machine is done at compile time instead of at runtime. Correct. I uh, have problem hearing you, but I presume you ask about <laughs> compile time regular expression. Why I decided to make them in compile time, and my uh, motivation was to outsource much work of uh, as much possible of work uh, to compiler, not to runtime uh, of my pro- uh, program, because my program uh, is running on servers, and I don't want to uh, spend time on building regular expressions. Yes, that's pretty much what I was asking. Um, this is kind of a, a, a trend of what we're trying to accomplish in C++ generally, um, making more and more things const expert. Uh, I know we we didn't we advance this in a few in uh, in San Diego in a few areas where we can now um, do allocations in const expert. Is that correct? Yeah, I think the um, the, the the trend is to const expert more of the things. Right. Yeah, more of the things, yes. <laughs> so I think we can even now uh, try and catch in constexpr. We can't throw, but we can try and catch. Is that right? Yeah. Or at least we can right. have try and catch statements, right? So they compile at least. Um, so that a function, obviously, it we can't handle exceptions. Well, I should say obviously, but at this point, we can't handle exceptions at constexpr time. But we can have code that, if it's not at constexpr time, would would handle exceptions. Is that, is that the idea? Uh, throwing exception is compile time error now, at least as I understand it. That's correct, yes. I'm sure we'll get there. I'm sure we will, in fact. I, th- I think, uh, I think uh, everything should be consexpr. Everything known at compile time should be consexpr. 
or optimized yeah. optimized away. So your programs needs, uh, will do only what uh, what uh, needs to be done during runtime, not, uh, not nothing else, not a bit more. Um, and in fact, this is what um, this is what the D language does. They don't have a const expert keyword. Everything is just const expert if possible. It's kind of implied, um, but of course we aren't that way, right? Uh, we have to label things as const expert at least at this point. And there's certain things that we just can't label as const expert. So we're we're getting there, right? Yeah. Um, the the idea of doing the state machines at compile time is not is not um, completely unknown. That's what Expressive does, right? In the Boost Expressive uh, by uh, Eric Niebler, his yeah. library. But it, it takes a bit of a different approach because it uses uh, uh, domain specific embedded language, right? Yeah, he's using uh, operator overloading, and it's uh, it's great solution for problem. But uh, I found different way how to handle it, and I'm parsing pattern as a string during compile time. It can be done right. in C, in C plus plus twenty, and with some right. hacks in T, in seventeen. So the the advantage of what you're able to do is that you're actually seeing a string of traditional regular expressions with the operator yeah. overloads. There's some cheating involved about placement of Klein stars and things like that, right? The uh, with the expressive library, you have to put the Klein star in front of something, just because that's C plus plus syntax. Right? Yeah, you need to know special syntax uh, and operator uh, precedence and know what uh, read the docu- read the documentation and try to t- translate your regular expression into sp- special syntax. With my library, you can just take your uh, regular expression from with PCRE syntax. You know, you mm-hmm. should already know at, at least partially, and then mm-hmm. just place it in your code and use it. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Of course, that assumes you have the regular expression at compile time, which usually we do. Yeah. Uh, the only time you wouldn't is if you actually had live searching. You were supporting live searching with regular expressions. Yeah, and that's only uh, cases when you're programming uh, text editors, maybe databases, or compiler, maybe. But usually, uh, your regular expression is static. You know, you know the format of what you're parsing. You know what you're looking for. Yeah. Uh, what sort of impact does that have on the the, the runtime of the obviously not the, the parsing of the regular expression itself, but parsing a, a text string with a regular expression once it's been compiled at compile time. Uh, yeah, uh, my library can uh, parse uh, subject even in compile time, but it's not use it's not much much useful feature. You can decide if your uh, subject is matching your pattern or not, and you can uh, capture some con- some content of it, but you know already it uh, string uh, during compile time, so... Right, but, but assuming you have uh, compiled the regular expression at compile time, mm-hmm. uh, and then you're matching a string at runtime, mm-hmm. is there any impact on the performance uh, of the runtime part of that? Actually, I'm uh, even quicker than PCRE library. A good sign. Only uh, in some cases, RE2 library from Google is a little quicker or on par, and uh, hyperscan from Intel, which is not exactly regular expressions, are much quicker. But it's different, dark magic. I don't understand what they're doing, but they are much quicker. But uh, right. they uh, they have limited subset of problems. That then uh, they are specialized in something else. Then uh, I'm trying to achieve. But pr- presumably those differences are really down to a, a quality of implementation. Yeah. Thing is. So you and actu- could potentially reach at least. And that, actually, uh, my actually my implementation is not a state machine. It's a, a depth search first algorithm. So right. I'm not, I'm trying all combination currently. I'm working on rewriting it to a, a finite machine, but uh, I'm not there yet. Uh, and how many times have you rewritten your library so far? I think it's actually six or seventh time already. Is that more than the, the number you gave on uh, uh, CPP Caster a little while ago? No, it's uh, <laughs> I I tried different approaches uh, and different techniques, and I found that uh, operate uh, function overloading is the best one for my use case. And and we could be confident that uh, that that is the best because you've tried all the others. 
I don't know if all of them, but I try most of them. During uh, during uh, during CPP now or uh, during talk from Stephen Lafayev, uh, I got idea to use CTED as a mechanism inside of uh, the library, and it's working. There is a working branch with uh, CTED instead of function overloading. Hmm. Okay. Does that give you a performance win there, or was it just something you tried? I tried, uh, and performance-wise, it's similar, so I decided to not go there. Makes sense. Well, um, speaking of uh, CPP Cast, one of the things I think you talked about there was your your local user group. You've put together uh, quite a um, series of guests that have come and spoken at your user group. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, after uh, last year, after I returned from CPP, now I got idea we need something similar here, some smaller, obviously. And there is no user group in Prague, in Czech Republic, so I decided to start one. And I asked uh, our CTO of Avast uh, to support, and he decided he will support me. So I'm, I, uh, I'm sponsored by my, uh, my employer, and I'm able to uh, attract great speakers. I, I had uh, Matt Gottbold and Tony van Aert in the last one. And next next will be in January, and I will have Guy Davidson and uh, two local speakers. And I can I think I, I think I can announce uh, a July guest. It will be Eric Niebler and uh, Bryce Lelbach. So um, I thought that the Denver group had it good. <laughs> <laughs> and we are trying to uh, stream all our uh, talks publicly. So uh, we try to give back to community worldwide. So you say stream as in do them live or just put them up afterwards? Live. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Well. People yeah. can feel like being there and they can, can ask questions. And it's, it's uh, actually easier on my part. I don't need to cut, cut the video and everything is online straight away. Yeah. We have a live endorsement from uh, Matt Godbolt in the chat saying that it's uh, super cool and fun to talk at Hannah's user group. So yeah. anyone else has a chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Matt was a great speaker. Yeah, and we um, loved having him as a guest and uh, loved having him at CPPCon. So tell us about your CPPCon experience. My CPPCon experience uh, was great. It was my second time this, this year. And I hope I will be there next time. It's sometimes overwhelming, so many people there, and I was so tired every day, but I woke up early and again, enjoyed the conference, and then I fall asleep for like two days afterward. And Just two? It's so much content. Uh, you always miss something. Well, that's... That's by design. I mean, there's <laughs> there's never a time when we say, "Oh, we can't do that." People wouldn't be able to go to all the things. Actually, this this year, I uh, sometimes I enjoy m- more discussing with people outside the uh, talks. So I spent less time on talks than last year, but I think this year was was even better for me and for a lot of people. I think this is not an uncommon experience. It's it's. It's a little bit surprising to people who first go to conferences that the real value of the conference is not the sessions. Yeah. And at first, everybody thinks that, oh, that's what I'm going is to see these sessions. Well, you're going to see great sessions. There's no question about that. And seeing them live is better than seeing them recorded because you can ask questions and because you actually have a different experience. Also, seeing them live is better because you get to see so many because nobody would actually go, you know, say, I'm going to watch, you know, 20 youtube videos over the next week right you, you just wouldn't do that and so you you'll be able to see much more content than you could online even though it is available online but nobody does that but the real value as you say is talking to people is yeah. is that experience and there's no substitute for that and which is why people who come to the conference come back despite the fact that all the content's free no there's a reason to come to the conference i think the best thing uh for First, my first year on CPPCon for me was uh, meeting people I know from 
internet. They are existing. They are famous, and I can talk with them. And they are just ordinary humans as me. It was the best experience I had. Yeah, I think that people are approachable. I mean, it's very. I just love this community because people are approachable. As you say, somebody's famous has done something pretty cool, like like you have done this really cool, innovative library, really nice. And yet, someone can just come up and talk to you. And um, I think that I had somebody make the comment about CPPCon that it's both overwhelming and not overwhelming. And, and I think what they were trying to say is, yeah, the, the content comes at you. You can't possibly do everything. But at the same time, you don't feel like you're um, you don't feel like you're personally intimidated by what's going on because you can just jump in and, and participate. Did you feel that way? Uh, first few hours on my first CPPCon, it was hard to approach someone. But uh, a few of my coworkers just threw me into crowd and it was fun. And this year I did the same for them. They was af- afraid to ask or talk so- to someone. So I just introduced them. Have you met Andre? No. But then they started talking. And then they talked for hour, maybe two, and it was fun. So two, two years ago, did you think you, you would be saying... I just introduced someone to Andre. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's different now. Definitely different. And last week, uh, John, weren't you saying that uh, some people were at least talking about having, I went to see uh, Hannah's talk live t-shirts done. Right. I think we should uh, make this t-shirt. <laughs> That will be a last chance to watch my talk on live on CPP uh, on C. So be there. Have you watched the CPP content video yet? I have difficulty watching myself. I tend to not watch them. I never watch myself. I prefer to not watch myself. <laughs> I, I do sometimes just to see if I can focus on something I can do better next time. So it can be hard, but... I prefer someone telling me what should I do, what should I do better, not watching myself because uh, no, no, no way. Um, have you thought about taking uh, the conference training, the CPPCon training on how to give presentations? Were you there? Did you take that one this year? I was there uh, and I uh, greatly enjoyed it. Oh, you did take it? Yeah, it was really fun. And I think everyone uh, who is willing to talk in future should take similar training because it was really helpful and uh, get training from uh, Kate or uh, Scott was awesome uh, and Andre yeah, as well Andre, yeah sorry Andre <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I did that too it was, it was definitely very worthwhile and very entertaining and it was as I told people literally a once in a lifetime opportunity um, I think we are going to uh, offer a class again, but I'm not sure we're going to be able to get the same lineup of instructors. Um, I'm sure whoever we get will be great, but um, but that was an amazing uh, an amazing lineup of instructors. So I'm I'm glad you got to to take that class, and I hope it uh, did it give you more confidence as you were speaking. Yeah, it helped. I got feedback from Scott after afterward, and I felt better from about my talk. Because I showed uh, pieces of my talk during the training, and it was helpful. All first-time speakers should go there. Not even just first-time speakers. Yeah, not, but all first-time speakers should be there. Right. And- uh, speaking, of, speaking of upcoming talks, we didn't, uh, we didn't do the news, did we? I'm sorry, I guess I probably jumped <laughs> over that, didn't I? Um, <laughs> you did. So... The uh, the announcement from C++ Now is that the call for submissions is up and the deadline is not very far away. So if you're thinking about coming to C++ Now as a speaker, uh, check out the website, read all the information about what we're looking for and make your submission. And you need to make it really within the next month. Uh, the, uh, the deadline is in January, so it's coming right up. Um, but C++ Now... Is a is has an amazing audience, and you will learn an awful lot by giving your talk. <laughs> uh, I want to go there, but I need to find proper topic. I don't want to talk about regular expressions again and again and again. Um, 
what you can do is not talk so much about the library, but about some of the techniques that you tried. I mean, if you did something seven different ways, you've tried a lot of techniques and a tutorial on, on, you know, moving things to compile time would be a great topic. I'll definitely go to that talk. <laughs> okay. I will try I to think, sub- submit it. I think <laughs> Phil and I wouldn't be the only ones in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> Were you going to say something about C++ on C? Well, I was actually going to say something about C++ now first. Oh. Which is that it's uh, C++ now is the, the first C++ conference in, in Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to be getting trendy, doesn't it? <laughs> Everybody wants to have their conference in Colorado. So, yeah, I definitely recommend going to or speaking at C++ now if you can. But, yeah, you mentioned C++ on C. Of course, my conference in the UK uh, coming up quite soon now in February. I think we mentioned last week that the uh, the call for volunteers and students were open. Uh, that's still running. Uh, volunteers will need to get their submissions in by uh, the end of the month, I think it was. Uh, but we've now just launched a, a diversity tickets scheme as well. And that's being run by the, uh, the Hash Include C++ group. So I'm going to be providing free tickets and they are uh, running a, a GoFundMe campaign to uh, to try and sponsor the uh, the travel and accommodation expenses. And that was a great success at CPP, uh, CPPCon this year. So we're, we're hoping to try and repeat that for C plus plus on C. So I'll um I guess some links for that in the in the show notes. That's C plus plus on C. I was um, delighted to see that and um, help out a little bit. It's um. Um, great to see that program going on. And I'm glad that Include is doing that. Um, Hannah, you want to talk a little bit about what we did at CPPCon for that? That was more than a little bit your responsibility. <laughs> it, it was idea, actually idea of my coworker and just, I just relied to, to you and then it started and it's bigger. it was bigger than I expected. I didn't expect we'll send five women there and it was awesome. I met, met all of them, and we should do it again. We are doing it again. Definitely. <laughs> For every conference. There's no reason why not. That would be great. So we're, we're definitely doing that for C++ on C. Um, I, I think it's, uh, well, the limiting factor is will the community step up to support that? And that's, um, you know, we're software engineers. We tend to be well compensated for what we do. And we should be in a position to share that. Uh, unfortunately, we lost you completely now, John. Uh, yep, we lost him. So while we wait for John to come back, the, the other piece of news we were going to look at, well, I just wanted to briefly mention, just completely uh, self-interest, of course, uh, my role at JetBrains. Uh, ReSharper C++ has a release next week. In fact, the whole of ReSharper, uh, particularly ReSharper C++ for this audience, uh, the, the 2018.3 release. Uh, it's going to be quite a big release. Lots of um, new, lots of little new features that really add up to uh, a much greater experience. So, if you if you use ReSharp C++, or if you don't, I'd encourage you to check that out when that drops next week. Uh, there were actually a couple of questions uh, from the the chat that we didn't get to about the compile time regular expressions. Okay. If we can revisit that, somebody was asking, uh, can the generated code use uh, compiler, SIMD, and text processing intrinsics, if appropriate, to take advantage of some of the cooler things modern CPUs can do? Uh, I think compiler can generate uh, special optimization for my cases. I didn't try to force it to generate such code, but I noticed that there, there are some SIMD, or SIMD operator, operator, operations uh, in generated code, depending on, on compiler. In a uh, my case, GCC is generating better code than Clang, unfortunately. Right, but so you're relying on the the compiler doing that for you, not doing anything yeah. special. Yeah, it, it's exactly just just uh, it's just C++ code, nothing else. My one, my first iteration of library was trying to uh, generate code with LLVM library, but I failed miserably. So I tried just I just did what I understand. Which such as C++ code, nothing else. So depends on compiler. Yeah. So um, yeah, the compiler should be able to any optimization tricks that it has at its disposal. It should be able to do those at compile time just as well as for generated code, right? Yeah, 
you just uh, need to give him some hints uh, that this can be para- uh, vectorized and this cannot and compiler should do it, but not in uh, it's not doing in every case, unfortunately. Um, Matt is saying that there are some nice intrinsics that uh, that are available to the compiler. Compare all eight of these characters at once to see the first one matching A through Z. <laughs> Oh, I never know about the intersect. So maybe I'll need to talk to Matt offline. Yeah. See if you can do version 8. <laughs> yeah, you haven't done enough versions yet. <laughs> okay, I will try. So there was another question as well from the from the chat, from uh, from the other Matt, in fact. Have you been optimizing the, the time to build performance? So I presume the the actual how long it takes to do the compile time part. Yeah, I uh, I optimized it a little. Uh, Odin Holmes gave me a great hint about uh, trampolining, technique mm. called trampolining, which allows me not just optimize build time, it also optim- uh, allows me to parse arbitrary length of string, not limited by uh, template recursion uh, depth limit. And right. it's a little quicker, but uh, I don't see compile time as an issue for my library. If you have only one regex in your translation unit, which is completely normal use case for someone, it's uh, you cannot even notice there is some compilation of your regular expression because it's so quick. As long as you apply some some common sense tactics like not putting those regexes in the header file that you include everywhere. That's just a little slower, but uh, I did measurement for ordinary lengths, a regular expression like around 20, uh, 20 chars is... Uh, Cost of compiling a regular expression is 150 milliseconds per translation unit. But if you use same regular expression multiple times in same translation unit in multiple function, it costs you virtually nothing. Right. Not bad. Not bad. Okay. Yeah. Sweet. So welcome back, John. Yeah, uh, and I thought I was, when I first connected, it was like, oh, this is great. And then it started to degrade a little bit. So I don't know what's going on, but um, but it's glad to be back. You do seem a bit more stable. Uh, and your signal is a bit more stable as well. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Annie, you're talking about your, your user group. Did you tell us everything that you, you wanted to tell us about that? Mm-hmm. I want to invite everyone who is near Prague to join us. It's always better if you are here, there on pers- uh, in person, not uh, watching stream. But uh, if you cannot be there, you can watch stream or recording. But uh, I always try to uh, bring some famous guest and someone uh, local to uh, to have a nice uh, presentation there. And also, I, I'm trying to uh, research uh, different formats. Uh, I'm, I will go with lightning talks next time, inviting local speakers. Uh, John uh, recently pointed me at uh, one local speaker from National Center of Supercomput- Supercomputing, and he is going to talk on the meetup in next month. And thank you, John, for it. Glad to do it. <laughs> uh, and you're able to get all these these big names because... The uh, the meetup is is sponsored by Avast. Yeah, meetup meetup is sponsored by Avast, but uh, I found people are very willing to go to Prague because everyone is loving Prague, and uh, and also uh, we can cover your expenses and everything. So you you just go to to airplane and visit us, and you can uh, be, be in Prague for one week or something, and it's fun for everyone. That's a great deal. I'll have to bear that in mind. And also, it helps that uh, the talks are public and not uh, not internal for company. Everything mm-hmm. is public yeah. for people. Uh, and, and Matt Gobolt on the chat says, and also Hannah asks really nicely. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure that's a big factor. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is what I learned in in preparing the call for submissions uh, for C++ now because we ask the submitters what country they're from, and. Uh, the Czech Republic has changed its name, right? The English English name is now, can you say it? It's Czechia. Czechia. Yeah, or Czechy. All right. Uh, Czechy. It's uh, 
second official name, uh, but our official name is still Czech Republic. We have like uh, you can say France and uh, longer name of France. I, I don't know what what it is, but uh, I think it's called the French Republic. I think yeah, it is yeah, called the French yeah, Republic. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so it's it's same people are yeah. uh, talking that we don't have any short short name usable uh, officially. So our parliament vote uh, this name and it's officially recognized now. Well, I had to update the no, update the submission system to change the uh, name. <laughs> you, you don't need that. Uh, both names are still official. Okay, good to know. All right. So, um, what about your upcoming? Do you have do you have talks that you're planning to do? I don't have a specific topic yet. I uh, researching one idea. And it's uh, combi- combining uh, stat embed, if you heard about it, and uh, compile time parsing to create uh, protobufs in compile time without preprocessor. You will just include protobuf file and it will create everything you need. But I don't know if it's possible or not. But with a combination of different things, especially stat embed, we like stat embed and we want it. If someone from committee is listening, please give us stat embed. <laughs> well, tell us what stat embed is. Stat embed is a constexpr function, function which should give, uh, give you content of a uh, view to content of file you ask for. So if you have a file as part of your uh, source tree, you can ask for content of shader. If you are doing uh, 3D graphics, you can ask for JSON configuration file. You can ask for C code and transpile it to C++ with compile time machinery. But so essentially, it's it's merging the file into the application so that you can access it. It gives at you runtime uh, directly. It gives you only content of file as a uh, variable for constexpr or constexeval functions. Oh, and, oh I and, see. And you can trans- transform it into whatever you want and then store it. So uh, original file is not stored in uh, your binary. It shouldn't store. Right, right. So at compile time, you... So it's not the same as hash include. Yeah, uh, currently it's uh, done uh, in some cases with hash include and preprocessed file, which uh, contains uh, compile time variable containing data, uh, all data you need. Right. But, but the approach here is that you're actually at compile time going to parse the file that yeah. you would have at runtime. Um, and so you can pre-parse the file. So the only limitation is that the file has to be of fixed content. Right? It, it, it obviously is it's a compile time evaluation. So it has to be known in advance, the, the format. Yeah, it, it must be known uh, during compilation. And there is a, a discussion if uh, name must be fixed, static, if you want, uh, in code or dyna- dynamically computed. If uh, the name is dynamically computed, I can recursively parse uh, protobufs and then uh, parse uh, include protobufs and whatever I want. And I think it's a really useful use case. Yeah, I can see that. Um, there's a lot of of programs. I, I know a lot of game programs load resources, essentially what we're saying is some kind of data that is available to the application. And... Um, Sometimes there's a trade-off between how you want to store the data to make it readable to be edited and how you want it to be available to the program to be loaded. And how we, now we can solve that problem by having at compile time, you, you can have the file in whatever format is nice for the human to edit it, but then at compile time, it gets converted into whatever's best for the program. I didn't hear you, uh, John, but <laughs> but I think it's create completely new class of problems and solution for them. For example, uh, I had a lightning talk on a meeting C++ and I can see you can actually create transpiler of Python into C++ in future with this. So you can compile any language you want into C++. I think it's a little interesting future. I hadn't really thought about it this way before, but this actually sounds more and more like a feature that F-sharp has called type providers. And when people first hear about type providers, they go, whoa, you can do that. Um, the, the, the one thing you can do with type providers that um, maybe you can't do here is actually um, download stuff over the internet as part of the compile step. Not yet. 
Um, but we're, maybe we're not far off that as well. I think standard doesn't uh, uh, specify what's, what's the file and when uh, the file you can take it. It's So right. maybe if you use internet URL, depends on your implementation in the future. Exactly. Yeah, now it may get me thinking. <laughs> that sounds dangerous. It's definitely safe and you should use it and <laughs> yes. don't check anything. Don't check your input. Never check your input. Uh, I think we've triggered Matt Godbolt on the track. Please, no URLs, he says. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Matt has pointed a couple of other questions, but I'm not sure how seriously those are. Um, how do you feel about having a Boost library named after you, Hannah? Uh, first time I heard about the library was last year on CVPCon. And I was surprised. Uh, I never, uh, I don't know all libraries on the internet, and I didn't use uh, Boost uh, two, uh, two years ago. I'm using it now, and it was like it's, it was funny. And then on a Rappersville meeting uh, on plenary session, I was sitting in second row, and uh, Herb Sutter was sitting uh, in first row, and he uh, looked at me and he told me, "Oh." You are uh, you are reason why you n- name your library Hannah, but uh, I need to correct it publicly. It's not named after me. It's coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> so I was quite pleased that they named uh, Stud Phil after me. Obviously. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. So do you uh, do you actually use Boost Hannah? No, uh, I just look at it. Uh, I read documentation and I didn't use it in some uh, my library or code, not yet, but I'm going to. I will, I will try it. But uh, for now, I somehow prefer to write my metaprogramming code by myself because reading meta, uh, metaprogramming code, it's really hard and I prefer to know what's going on, especially uh, doing regular expression or stuff. When I don't know if... Uh, at the beginning, I wasn't sure if it's possible to create a graph expressions in compile time. So that wasn't time to use any library, any other library. But it makes sense. Uh, most metaprogrammers use use HANA, but you are HANA. So. Yeah. It's, uh, it's becoming de facto a standard library for metaprogramming now. Hmm. Exactly. So you just need to drive the, um, the state of the art forward. I'm not sure most, most people are using HANA, but it's a great place to start. You were talking about your your next idea being to do with with stood in bed, and we, we looked into that. But it sounded like we we did have a an idea for your for your next talk earlier, so that that could be something else you'll be working on next, maybe the um, different iterations of your regular expressions library and the thinking behind each one. Yeah, I d- I uh, make several iterations of my library to like four or five last year and I got experience with different techniques and uh, in last iteration I found that uh, the best technique for my use case are, is uh, function overloading and one idea you gave me earlier was to make talk about comparing these techniques and these pluses and minuses uh, it's interesting but I would need to remember what was the uh, down, uh, positive sides of uh, different techniques and I don't remember everything. I'm not sure if I'm able, I will be able to make the talk from it. I will try, but it's it's my backup backup plan. I should uh, I pre- present the uh, protobufs. It's more interesting for me. Okay. Is protobuf something that you're using or is this just uh, got you intellectually curious? The protobufs? You mean? Yes. Yeah, uh, we are using protobufs in a, a lot of our uh, internal code, especially on backends. So I always hating uh, modifying my pipeline just because I need to use protobufs to create, uh, to generate files. So I'm looking to, to solution how to avoid uh, the need of having the preprocessor for my pipeline. That's all. And, and how'd that be better uh, than a... Um a cogeneration step, or, or would it be? Uh, for example, if you have a header-only library, you will not need uh, to add a, introduce cogeneration step. Just include your header-only library, and you can just use it with your protobufs. 
in theory. Uh, would there be any implications for uh, debugging it, in that case? It will be same as with other, any other template code. Uh, there will be uh, mm. uh, structures and classes you don't know, but they are generated in your library. I think it's same as debugging a std uh, library, std library vector or something like map. You sh- you shouldn't uh, look inside. Right, right. Some, sometimes you do have to though, just to buy buy a fault of it because that, that that is sometimes a problem when you have too much stuff generated at compile time. You do need to look into the guts of it. Yeah, and sometimes you yeah, do. Yeah, I in- that's that could be I invent special technique to debugging uh, meta meta programming code with my uh, error expression, and it's meditating. Just right. sitting and thinking, <laughs> sitting and thinking where, where, where is the error? But uh, during, uh, when I was writing the library, I, whenever I introduce new feature, I always write a lot of tests, in this case, static asserts. So it's relatively right. easy uh, to make new features without broking anything else if you have tests. So please write tests. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's a more thoughtful approach to programming. I actually try to uh, write, write most of my tests as static assert uh, because it's straightforward. It's easy. And if you have everything context per, it can be done. Right. So maybe you should name a catch to static catch in future. Well, um, the, the question has been raised. In, in fact, <laughs> uh, just recently a feature has gone into to catch two. Not written by me, but to to do um, uh, type driven, not type driven tests, but uh, type parameterized tests. Mm-hmm. So you can you can write one test against many different types. The tests still execute at runtime, oh. but they are effectively generated for uh, for each instance of the type. That's really interesting. So good luck trying to get Phil to change the name of the library. I've been trying to get him to change it to Boost Catch <laughs> for a long time, and I haven't had any, had any <laughs> success with that. Nope. Nope. Well, there is a boost test. Oh. Yes, but there's no boost catch. No. no. Well, you, you'll have to keep boost trying. Or boost give up. Or that, yeah. All right. Well, um, and now suddenly I have a good connection. Um, I wanted to ask Hannah about the, the same question I asked about protobuffers, which was about uh, regular expressions. Are you using those in your work? Why did you decide to, to take that on? Uh I started to be interested in your expression a long time ago when I was uh, studying on university uh, for my languages. And I think it's a really nice concept and it's clean and it's beautiful. And I tried to implement a regular expression on my own as a runtime code. And then I tried again. So it's like my hobby of mine. But uh, also in my work, in my source, uh, source code, uh, I got, I uh, inherited from my previous uh, coworker. There was several hundreds of regular expressions. And it was like, that's crazy. And uh, my first thought was uh, uh, ch- change this regular expression into uh, state machines. But uh, they are hard to write and hard to debug for, pe- for people who don't know state machines. So I was searching for uh, a way how to make them quicker, easier, uh, easier debuggable, and that's all. That's that's the reason I start working on compatible expressions. If you make a syntax error in compatible regular expression, it will give you hard compile time error. So that's also positive thing about the library. Yeah, that's very nice. And is there... Uh, has there been talk of um, uh, this is something else now, but maybe you know more about this because I think there's been talk of adopting the the FMT library into the standard or something like it, and doesn't that give you uh, the opportunity to specify um, uh, types of insertion points in a in a formatting string and have them checked at compile time? I think yeah, uh, I think. Uh author of Fermata library is using some sort of checking of types, but I'm, I didn't uh, yet uh, saw the code. Uh, I suppose to, there is, there are some checks I heard about them, but I'm not sure. But I think uh, 
he can use same technique as I'm doing uh, to check. That, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. Because you can from the pattern you can generate uh, tuple, and you can check the tuple against uh, arguments. I think it's, it should be relatively easy. So a part of my library is uh, just a uh, um, syntax parser you can use for this type of uh, utilities. So you don't need uh, to uh, look on a regular expression. All the stuff is different, different part of library. You can just take the parser and build type from your string. So you actually, your, your library is a composition of several smaller yeah. uh, libraries you can use independently. That's useful to know. Mm-hmm. So you can just uh, design your grammar and create uh, create a function which will give you a tuple of types based on your pattern, for example. Right. Uh, are there any other useful parts of the library that you can use independently? Only this, only this one. Okay. Well, that's a good start. <laughs> yeah, you can use my type list. And my type list is like 20 lines uh, long code, only one-liners. It's small. It can it can fit in on, in uh, one slide. Right. It's awesome. <laughs> how, how does that differ from just a, a plain variadic template pack? I have operation like push, pop, and uh, it behaves like a uh, stack and like a uh, queue if you want. Right. No, that's not useful then. You should definitely have to have a look at that. You should. <laughs> so, John, do, do you have anything else to to add or to ask? Um, well. I was going to ask something about uh, metaprogramming in general in the sense of you've been doing that quite a bit now. How do you feel that that's different from um, from com- from more traditional approach that C++ users? There's not very many people who are doing metaprogramming, but the ones that are uh, tend to get really wrapped up in it. And I was going to ask you about the experience of that. My experience is it's really hard. And if you try to uh, program in same style as uh, you are used to for ordinary programs, you are screwed. But uh, if you try to uh, think functionally, it's suddenly uh, some beauty emerge and it's really simple. I tried to uh, write my type list uh, as a class with a member function and it was, it was really hard. Then I uh, decide to move my function as a free function, use them. And suddenly the code is really, really small. And you cannot make error with it because there is no space for error. So you just need to think differently than you are used to. So I I hope that I don't get cut out on this because this is a great story. And it's about Andre uh, with his low-kite library. There were people who asked him to submit that to Boost. And when he started looking at that, one of the things that the Boost guidelines are is that if you have some functionality that Boost has a library for, you should use the Boost version rather than inventing your own. And so he was going to look at having to re-implement Loci using the template metaprogramming library, the Boost template metaprogramming library. The Boost template metaprogramming library was designed with the idea that C++ programmers would understand what STL containers look like. And so it tries to have an STL container kind of interface. And Andre was just aghast. He said, no, um, template programming is just functional by nature. It's just the nature of what you're doing. It's a functional problem. And you want to use functional style programming. And trying to fit an STL API over typeless is just crazy. Um, and so he pushed back at that and Loki never went into boost, but I thought he made a very important point that the natural way to do template metaprogramming is to think functionally. And so I actually had a friend who was a C++ programmer, but he took a job using, um, where, where he was going to use something called Scala, which is a, a functional programming language built on top of the Java virtual machine. And what I told him was, I said, I don't, I don't know how successful you're going to be or how much you're going to enjoy this new company or whatever. But I said, if you learn Scala, you will probably be a better C++ programmer afterwards for having learned Scala because understanding how to program and think functionally is something that I think C++ programmers need to do more of for two reasons. One is it makes for makes you a better uh, template metaprogrammer. It also makes you a better programmer if you're doing anything you want to think of from the point of view of uh, multi-threading, 
these are really important skills, way of thinking about code. And I think that C++ programmers in general have an awful lot that we can learn from the functional programming community. The discipline is very valuable to us, both in doing template metaprogramming, but also in doing multi-threading. The, the, the one bit that I did get from that and uh, I did pick up on was when you were talking about treating type lists as STL containers. And you, you said that Andre pushed back on that. And I thought that was quite appropriate. Yeah. I, I think uh, functional programming is future, at least partially, even for C++. It's easier to uh, testable and it's usually is even safer. And if you uh, do runtime function programming, you can do uh, compile time programming uh, straight away without any problems. You won't get any uh, pushback from me on that. What I was hoping I was going to be able to say is that I think that C++ programmers um, can learn from the functional programming discipline in two very important areas. One is in in uh, uh, template metaprogramming or metaprogramming, but um, the other is in the area of anything having to do with multi-threading, writing your code so that it has minimized, so it minimizes its side effects and thinking in in a functional way. I don't think all programs or all problems are easily solved that way, but the ones that are, you have lots of benefits about reasoning about code if you've written it in a functional style. I hope one of those statements yeah. actually makes it to the, <laughs> to the podcast. <laughs> I totally agree, and it's harder to write functional some some problems, but uh, it's I think it's not about objective uh, hardness of writing code. It's uh, about our what what we are used to to write, and if we learn something new, then we can. I think it's about willingness to learn new new things. Nothing else. I agree, and see my talk. Functional C++ for fun and profit for details. Okay, well, I think we're we're out of time. Um, sorry, Hannah, for some of the uh, the connection problems we've uh, been having. I'll try and clean it up as much as possible in the editing. Um, I think it's time for us to, to to say goodbye. Unless do you have any final words you want to say? Come to my talk on CPP on C. You heard it here first, or maybe second. Okay. <laughs> thank you for that, and thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. So shall we say uh, safe coding? Yeah, safe coding. To everyone, safe coding. Safe coding.